Awesome. Thank y'all. Thank y'all so much for having me. Yeah. Texas is home, too, for me, in a way. And so we've been hanging out here this week with family and celebrating Christmas here. We went to Magnolia Silos yesterday, the whole Chip and Joanna thing. And my wife was in Disney World with that yesterday. She was, she was, she was loving that. So we had a blast. And so thank y'all again for having us. Uh, thank you, Compton, for that wonderful compliment. That's very kind of you. Uh, we're going to dive into the word this morning, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and I will read that for us. It says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Uh, In the former times, there we go, in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. But those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his approach, uh, of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. And the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Let us go before our king in prayer. Father God, we come to you in your mighty sons, Jesus name. Uh, Thank you for today thanking you for your word. Father God, I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray that I would decrease so that you can increase and be made much of in the lives of your people. God, speak to us through your word. Pierce our hearts with your word. Pierce our consciences with your word. Wake us up if we are asleep. Open our eyes. Unstuff our ears. Soften our hearts, Lord. Humble us where we need to be humbled. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. We need you this morning. It's in your mighty son's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Right on. Thank you. (laughs) In the New York Times best-selling book, The Greatest Generation, uh, Tom Brokaw gives great detail about the lives of World War II veterans. He, He calls the World War II generation the greatest generation, and he does memoirs, and shares about these guys' lives and gives you real deep insight in what they went through and what they were going through at this time in history. Uh, At this time in America's history, uh, and not just America, in the world's history, it was a very dark and scary time. Uh, This is when uh, Nazi Germany and Hitler were uh, tearing their way through Europe. And uh, this is a time uh, when um, Pearl Harbor had been attacked. So it was a dark and and kind of a scary time in this world. And Tom Brokaw tells us about how these young men engaged that darkness head on. In in their youth, at this time of their life, 
uh, where uh, they, they could have been focusing on other things, they focused on this uh, great challenge, and they, and they stepped into this. And so one particular story caught my attention. It was about uh, this, this man, uh, Thomas Brederick. And Thomas Brederick's story was, was very uh, interesting to me. Five days after parachuting into to Holland in 1944, uh, Thomas Brederick was in a firefight, and he was hunched down in a foxhole, uh, and every now and then he'd lift his head up, and he'd put his head back down, he'd lift his head up and put his head back down. And one of the times when he lifted his head up, he was caught on his left temple. A bullet went right through the left side of his head, destroying his optic nerve. He was blinded immediately. Uh, he didn't know he was blinded yet. As a matter of fact, when he went to the doctor, they didn't want to break the news to this young man because they didn't want to devastate him. Later, he would find out uh, that he was blinded from that shot. Now, um, if he would have been upset for the rest of his life and never wanted to uh, uh, do anything challenging or hard again, man, who could blame him? I, I could totally get that. Uh, if he, uh, you know, never wanted to step into any more challenges, if he was bitter and angry and mad at the world because he lost his uh, sight and he was forced to live in darkness, man, I could totally get if he was upset about that. I mean, I think we could all say, I, I get why you're so upset and so angry. You've lost your sight. You're in darkness now. Uh, if he spent his life comparing himself to other people, saying, if I had what they had and, and if I had the, the resources or the sight that they had or the, the health that they had, uh, then life would be better for me. But that, that's, that's not what happened. Tom Brokaw writes this. He said, he was gravely wounded, but once he got over the initial understandable anger, he set out to be the best husband, father, businessman, and citizen he could be, sight or no sight. He didn't grow bitter and dependent on others. He didn't blame the world for his condition, unquote. Hear this. 23-year-old man, right, um, at this point in his life when he got back home, he was 23 years old, and, uh, and he's trying to engage back in life again. So he's trying to learn. He even gets back on the dating scene, and he literally goes on a blind date. No pun <laughs> intended there. That's what Brokaw says. He, went, he goes on a blind date uh, with this young woman by the name of Eileen. Eileen would eventually become his wife, and they would be married for 54 years. So Mary, for 54 years, had uh, seven children. But she said she was so drawn to Thomas because of his enthusiasm and his joy about life. He never uh, let her feel sorry for him, uh, for what was going on with him, uh, for the fact that he was blind. He never made it a big uh, deal to her, but he was very enthusiastic about life still, uh, even with that. Um, he worked, as a matter of fact, uh, he, he worked during the daytime. He worked for an insurance broker, so he learned the insurance business. But check this out. At night, he taught himself Braille. So learning the insurance business by day, teaching himself Braille by night, and so he eventually started his own business. Not too bad for what he was going through. Had seven children, as we mentioned. He said he tried to make as many of those sporting events as he could. So he's, he's there at the sporting events, being present. He's sticking to his word with that he was going to try to be the best husband, father, businessman. He could be sight or no sight. The darkness came, and he responded well to the darkness. The darkness came. It showed up, but he responded well. He could have used his wound as an excuse to wound others, but instead he used his wound as an opportunity to inspire others. So... 
I don't bring up Broderick's story this morning to tell you to get over your pain. I don't bring up Broderick's story to even say, yeah, go, go be just like Broderick. Get over whatever you're going through this morning. That's why I'm not bringing, it up, bringing that. I'm not bringing it up for that reason. You may very well be experiencing some very real pain this morning, so I don't bring it up for that. I don't bring it up to say, go be tough. Go pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Be like Broderick. I don't bring it up for that reason. But I bring it up to say that darkness doesn't have to win in your life. Darkness doesn't have to get the last word. Darkness does not have to have the last say. And it's not a matter of if you will experience darkness and hurt and adversity and pain. But my friend, it's a matter of when. Because we all will. And it will show up and manifest itself in different ways. And because we have a spiritual enemy, it will probably be targeted at you in a way that hurts you just right. Because that's, that's the fallen world that we live in. Maybe it's the darkness and isolation of feeling alone. Maybe it's the darkness associated with a great loss. This is the time of year where we begin to take inventory and we look around the table and we notice that certain people aren't there and it can hurt really bad. And I know it's people that aren't here this year with us, and it it hurts to know that they're not going to be here with us this time of year. So that can cause darkness. Um, When a family member has to deploy or has deployed, and and you're missing them because you know they won't be around this time of year, that can cause uh, grief and darkness. Uh, Maybe you're just doing something new, and it's very difficult, and it's hard right now. And, that, and that's darkness. Maybe you just started college, right? Uh, you're taking on a new challenge, and it's terrifying for you. Depression, anxiety, sickness, financial strain, abuse from the past or maybe even the present, raising kids, all of that can just be uh, heavy for you in this season. And these things can creep in, and they can create this dark cloud over your head, and it can feel like it's only raining in your world. So you're on on social media and Facebook and everybody's living this perfect life and you're looking at that social media timeline and everybody's getting married and uh, everybody's uh, just uh, going on vacations and it seems like they have limitless amounts of money and they're just enjoying your life, I mean, enjoying their life, and it's just only raining in your world. And it can feel like that sometimes. But if you don't get anything else today, I want you guys to get this. And this is the big idea for today. And if you don't get anything else, please get this, because if you get this, I think it'll make a big difference in your life. I think if you get this big idea that I'm going to share with you today, that it can make a difference in uh, whether or not your marriage is going to make it another week or another year. It might make a difference on whether or not you're going to quit that thing that you started or not. Right? It may save your life, because we live in a world where it gets dark enough where you don't, you know, some of us don't want to go on any longer. So, and this is the big idea. The big idea is this. There are a few things that will impact your future and your legacy more than your response to darkness and adversity. There are a few things that will impact your future and your legacy more than your response to darkness and adversity. Who you are and who you're becoming is largely impacted by how you respond to the darkness because the darkness will come. In the case of Thomas Brederick's story, it showed up. That could have been a totally different story if he didn't respond to darkness and adversity uh, the way that he did. And I know that when it hurts, it can really hurt. 
And when it's dark, darkness can get really dark. So I don't want to minimize any challenges that you may be going through or experiencing in your life. But I want you to know that those things are not too big for God. Those things are not too big with God. Many uh, thought leaders have wrestled with this contrast of darkness and light. I just wanted to look at a couple. Martin King Jr. says, but I know somehow that only when it's dark enough can you see the stars. Alec Mandino said, I will love the light for it shows me the way, yet I will endure the darkness because it shows me the stars. Anybody ever been there? Faith is seeing light with your heart when all your eyes see is darkness. Brene Brown says, the dark does not destroy the light. It defines it. So how will you respond to darkness? How are you responding to darkness? Are you responding to it alone? Are you working through it you know, with somebody else? Or are you taking it on alone? Because it can be very hard to do alone. So how are you responding to darkness? Are you responding in faith? Or are you responding with fear? And I want to encourage you. If you're responding in fear and it has a grip on you, you are not alone. And you don't have to walk in shame. You don't, want, you don't have to walk in guilt. You're absolutely in the right place around the right people. And sometimes this could be the scariest place to admit that you are in darkness because it's in a church. And a lot of times we feel the pressure to put on the perfect face and to put on the church face. And everything is good and everything is great. And we actually know uh, the marriage is holding on by a thread. Or last night I thought about ending it all. Or I'm in this season and I don't know what to do. I'm just confused. Well, I started a new job, and I feel completely incompetent, and I, and I feel like quitting. Those are the real places that we find ourselves. And so if you are in that place, I want to encourage you, you're, you're in the, the right place. But the reality is there are a few things that will impact your future and your legacy, like how you respond to darkness and adversity. As we come to our text, Isaiah chapter 9, we will see the contrast between light and darkness on display in the life of Israel. These are God's covenant people. Uh, And God, Yahweh God, the God who saves, is using the backdrop of a dark and fallen world and a wicked people. He's using all of that ugliness and all of that darkness as a backdrop to introduce a great light into the world. Isaiah, the prophet, he has a word for King Ahaz. He has a word for King Ahaz. He has a prophetic word for King Ahaz. He has a prophecy for him. And the prophecy goes like this. It says, Uh, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. There we go. The Lord Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, out of context, that makes for a great coffee mug verse, great Christmas ornament verse, nice little uh, Christian tattoo, if you will. Right, we can throw that around rather lightly this time of year. But in its original context, this was a matter of life and death. This was a matter of great hope from a people who were in a dark place who needed great hope. See, King Ahaz had gotten himself 
and the people of Israel in a lot of trouble. He had gotten himself in trouble. He had gotten the whole kingdom uh, in a lot of trouble. Uh, And we have to do a little jog through that history to get this a little bit more. At this point in Israel's history, Israel, uh, which was one nation at one point, had now divided into two nations. You had the northern kingdom and you had the southern kingdom, and they didn't really get along. Think of like a Texas OU rivalry, but it's a lot bigger than that. But that type of thing, they really don't like each other. And Ahaz was in the southern kingdom. Uh, The northern kingdom had formed an alliance with another nation, and they had a list of demands for the southern kingdom. And a list of demands went like this. Either, southern kingdom, you get with us, you join us and form an alliance with us to help us fight against our enemies, or we're going to wipe you off the map. Simple as that, plain and clear. Either going to join us and help us fight against our common enemies, or little southern kingdom, we're going to wipe you off the map. So King Ahaz, the king of the southern kingdom, is hearing this, and he's checking his reserves and looking at what he has, and he's like, yeah, we actually don't have the power to beat these guys, so what are we going to do? Are we going to join with them, or are we just going to give up and get annihilated? What are we going to do? God speaks into his situation with this verse. He says, no, 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 I am with you. God is with you. Like, You have nothing to fear, King Ahaz. And I know that you and the people in the southern kingdom are shaking in your boots, but I'm here to tell you uh, that that you have nothing to fear. I'm going to send you a sign, Emmanuel, God with us. That means God is with you, Ahaz. Don't freak out. Don't panic. Don't try to take this into your own hands. I know you. You try to figure things out for yourself. You don't like trusting God. You like fixing it yourself. And I'm telling you, don't do that this time. Trust God. He's with you. He got you. He got your back. Are we good? And Ahaz says, I don't know about that. He, he, he says, I don't know about that. And Ahaz gets clever. He says, instead of uh, getting with those guys and, and making an alliance with them or trusting God, I'm not going to do either. What I'm going to do is I'm going to form an alliance with Assyria, the, the, the biggest, most powerful nation uh, in the world at that time. I'm going to uh, 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 you know, find myself in an allegiance with them, and I'm going to pay them off and do whatever I have to do to make sure that they protect me. And that's what he does. And he basically uh, forms a bond with Assyria, and he begins to worship pagan gods. He brings an altar and sets it up in God's temple and worships these pagan gods, Uh, He pays tribute. He takes things, devoted things that were in God's temple, and he begins to give those things to Assyria. And before you know it, he turns uh, Judah into this idol worshiping place. There were idols everywhere. He had completely neglected uh, God's word. He completely turned his back on God. He he had a self-salvation strategy. He tried to fix it himself. He tried to do his own thing, and he ends up paying for it. He and all of Israel ended up paying for it. He chose to trust man instead of trusting God. And so he trusted Assyria. He he builds this alliance with Assyria. And he thinks Assyria has his back. But this is what happens. Assyria gets greedy. So they take down the northern kingdom, but what do they do? They keep going, and they keep going south. And before you know it, all of Israel, north and south, is captive now because this person didn't trust God. He trusted in himself, and they found themselves in a very dark place. But God, but God, God intervenes. At this point, you can understand why God may have just left them to their own devices and left them to, to themselves, but that's not what happened. God keeps going. God keeps pursuing, and in spite of their failure, in spite of their weakness, he still has a plan to redeem them and save them, and that's exactly what he does. 
but I just want to encourage us. I know that Ahaz messed it up, and I know that Israel's in this bad place, but you and I, we cannot look down our nose at Israel. We can't even look down our nose at King Ahaz. We don't look down our nose at Israel. We look in the mirror at Israel, and we see our own shortcomings and our own tendencies uh, to form our own self-salvation strategies and to save ourselves, which brings us to our first point. Because of our sin, we all need to be rescued from darkness. Because of our sin, we all need to be rescued from darkness. Verse 1 says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. It's so good that that verse starts with but. Now, this place is in trouble, right? They're oppressed by Assyria. They're having to pay a bunch of money and tribute to this nation. They're getting abused, but, looking to the future, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. But, but, but. God's salvation strategy is to engage this dark place still. He still loves these people. He's still faithful to these people. Even though they've broken the covenant, he's consistent to keep coming after them, even though they failed him still. And that's how God's salvation works. God is the God who saves. And some of us have been saved for so long that we forget that when God saved us, we were spiritually dead. We had nothing to offer. We had nothing to contribute to our salvation except for the sin and the darkness that God had to clean up. We had nothing to give. We had nothing to offer. We weren't drowning. We were at the bottom of the ocean dead. And he saved us and he engaged that darkness. So that that should encourage you if you don't know Christ this morning. Because your your, your darkness, it doesn't intimidate God. What you're going through doesn't intimidate God. What you did last night doesn't intimidate God. It doesn't scare God. It's not going to make him run away from you and say, "Uh, God is not like people. He steps right into the darkness. That's what this whole season is about. It's about the fact that the king of the world stepped on the stage of our lives in the middle of all of this brokenness in the world, all of the brokenness inside of us, and said, I'm not running away from it. I'm not scared of it. I'm not too good for it. Even though I am good, I'm going to step right into it, and I'm going to engage the darkness right on. And we see this uh, furthermore in verse 1. It says, in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Hear this now. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. So let's break this down a little bit more. Isaiah is speaking in what we call the prophetic present tense, meaning as he's talking to Israel right now, he's talking to them about things that haven't happened yet as if they have already happened. So you may be in darkness now, Israel, but I'm looking forward to the future and I can see that the light has shone in the darkness and the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. He's talking about it as if it's already happened. It's like we're supposed to get barbecued this afternoon. And it's like if I said, man, the ribs are so good and they have filled my belly if I, as if I was already there. <laughs> That's how Isaiah is talking to this group of people. And so what are you talking about? Uh, Isaiah talking about uh, the light has shone to Galilee of the nations. The land of Galilee that Isaiah is describing is the first place that experienced this attack when Israel was attacked. It was the first place that experienced the darkness. 
But it will also be the first place, if you look forward to your New Testament, it will be the first place where Jesus begins to minister. So Isaiah saying, the first place that experienced this darkness and this suffering and pain, it'll be the very first place that will experience this great light. God is not afraid to go straight into the darkness. There's no neighborhood that's too bad. There's no family that's too bad. There's no anything that's too dark or too corrupt for him to engage. Uh, God steps right into it. We see it in Matthew chapter 4, 23 through 24. And this is God uh, in Galilee, this place that Isaiah is talking about that had once experienced great darkness, but is now experiencing great light. Matthew chapter 4 says that he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. A healing, so healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains as those oppressed by demons epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Jesus stepped right into the darkness. Jesus is that great light that steps right into our darkness. I think that intuitively, all of us know that we're broken. I think intuitively we all know that. Uh, I think we all know that we wrestle with darkness. But the question that I want to pose to you this morning, Grace Church, I want to pose this question do you feel comfortable stepping into the light? Do you feel comfortable stepping into the light? Because the light can be scary. The light can expose you. You can hide in the darkness. Nobody knows what's really going on with you if you're not in the light. Nobody knows about that addiction. Nobody knows what's really going on at home. Nobody really knows about the fear. So it can be very scary to step into the light because you feel like you might get judged. People might look down on you if you step into the light. People might compare themselves to you if you step into the light. But I just want to encourage you that you can step into the light. And this, it actually is a safe place. Like God wants to, wants to know you. And guess what? He already knows you. He just wants you to be honest enough to step into the light and be real with yourself and be real with others. He already knows about the brokenness. He already knows about the weakness. Our biggest fear, and especially for us as men, our biggest fear is to be exposed. But God says that it's a safe place to step into the light and, 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 and allow me to heal you. You can't fix yourself. You can't save yourself. And this, even this church is set up with groups for you guys to get to know each other on a deeper level. So God is saying it's a safe place to step into the light. And because of our sin, we all need to be rescued from darkness. Welcome to the club. You are not alone. As lonely and isolating as sin may uh, cause us to feel, it's not the truth. Uh, You can step into the light, which leads us to our next point. Because of the darkness in our fallen world, our hearts long for a king that will promote peace, justice, and righteousness. Because of the darkness in our fallen world, our hearts long for a just king that will promote peace, justice, and righteousness. Jesus isn't a Democrat or Republican. He's not a Democrat or a Republican. He didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Paul Hebert, a missiologist, says it this way. He says, it must be noted that Christianity, if it is not hopefully denatured, never becomes fully at home in any culture. Always, when it is true to its genius, it creates attention. 
When it is true to its genius, it creates attention. Jesus and all of who he is cannot fit perfectly inside of any political box, whether it be an American political box or it be uh, Middle Eastern or Asian or African. It is is impossible for him and all of who he is to fit inside of man-made boxes. And I think that all of us get that intellectually. I think we get it up here. But at our heart, we still long for the perfect and just king. We long for a perfect kingdom that's led by a perfect king because that's what we were created for. You and I were created to be led and loved by King Jesus. And we were created uh, to live under his rule. We were created to be known by him and to be guided by him and for him to be our Lord. And so in our hearts, we, we, we long for that. Creation groans for that. And sometimes we reach and grab for shadows uh, in this world. But God is saying that the only true king is King Jesus. And until he gets here, we, we will always be, always be dissatisfied with what we see in individuals. We will always be disappointed by it. Or even we will be judgmental of others who don't align with what we think or what we believe. But he didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. And because of the darkness in our fallen world, our hearts long for a just king who will promote peace, justice, and righteousness. We have to look no further than King Ahaz in the the story that we read earlier. He failed the people. And we can look at great kings like King David. He was good, but he still was only a shadow of things to come. He was not the one true king. Uh, At at best, our earthly leaders are like, uh, they're like the off-brand Dr. Pepper, not the real Dr. Pepper, all right? At best. And we all know the off-brand Dr. Pepper has the weird names, like Dr. Polk and Dr. Paul and Dr. Pibb and all that stuff. And it's kind of flat and it don't taste right and don't really got any sugar in it at all. And it leaves you longing for the real Dr. Pepper. And Isaiah tells us about the real thing. He says, you've seen shadows of it. You've seen some poor examples of it, but there's one coming who will satisfy your thirst and will satisfy your heart forever. The real King Jesus. No flaws. His name is is a wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor, meaning that he will be a wonder-working king meaning that he will be a counselor, meaning that he will have wisdom. We will one day have a king who has perfect wisdom and perfect power, a wonder-working king, a wonderful counselor. He's mighty God, meaning that he will not just be a man. He won't just be a man. Jesus was not just a man. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man all at the same time. That's what we have to look forward to. And that's what we have now as we, as we surrender our hearts to King Jesus. He is mighty God. He's the everlasting father, meaning that his reign will never end. Uh, and he will care for his subjects forever. That's the type of love that you were created for. Not the type of love that will run away when it's displeased with you. Not the type of love give, that will give up on you once it sees your ugly side, the real side. You were created for that type of everlasting father that sees you, knows you, and loves you right there for what you really are and for who you really are. An everlasting father, an everlasting love that will never end. That's who our King Jesus is. 
He is the prince of peace, meaning that he's the one that will come and cause all of the storms to stop. The storms that go on inside of your heart that keep you up at night. The reason why you can't sleep, he'll cause all of that to cease. He'll cause all of the anxiety to stop. You'll never have to take another Xanax again. Never have to take another shot of whiskey again. Never have to take another pill or smoke anything or drink anything again. Because he's the prince of peace that will cause all of the violence in your heart to cease. And he will cause all of the external storms and wars that go on in our world to cease. He'll cause all of the bombs to stop flying because the bombs won't need to fly anymore once the Prince of Peace steps on the scene. That's our King Jesus. And there's no man, no woman that can fill his shoes. That's what we were created for. We were created for this type of love, for this type of rulership, for this type of God. And you will not be satisfied until you have him. There will be a perpetual disappointment in man until you come face to face with the King of Kings. Uh, uh, St. Augustine says our hearts are restless until we find rest in thee. Our hearts are going to be restless until we find rest in King Jesus. For my 31st birthday last spring, my wife got me tickets to a symphony. Now, I don't usually do symphonies because I'm not bougie like that, but (laughs) I'm not saying that you bougie. If you like symphonies, that's cool. But my wife got me tickets to a symphony, and it's because uh, we were we we're planting a church, and we were planning on calling our church Symphony Church, but we ended up going up going with another name. Uh, but it's cool; got a cool illustration out of it, I think. So, uh, um, but anyways, we we, were in, we named it Covenant Family Church. That's going to be the name of the church plant. But she took me to a symphony so that we can uh, actually see what a real symphony looks like, and so we got there a little early. And I was able to actually see the people tune up. And so uh, you, you hear the violinist over there doing his thing, and he's tuning up. Um, and y'all, it just sounds like noise when you first get there. It don't sound like music yet. It's just noise. So the violinist is tuning up, doing his thing. And the celloist is doing her thing, and the bass is over there. And the French horn, it just sounds like... Right? It's no music yet. It's just noise. But then, here comes the moment we've all been waiting for. The conductor steps onto the stage. All of the chaos ceases. All eyes are on the conductor. What was once just noise is now sweet music. What was once just chaos is now peace. The job of the conductor is to unify a bunch of individual performers and to make them a unit that is able to do something that is bigger than themselves. That is what King Jesus does. He tells us to focus on him, and in doing so, we will find peace. The job of this, of this conductor is to unify the people, and that's what Jesus does. Jesus is the conductor of his church, And when we focus on him, we go from being a bunch of individuals to a unified body that is able to change the world. He turns our chaos into peace. When we get our eyes off of everything else, when we get our eyes off of ourselves and our own individual goals and agendas and focus our eyes on King Jesus as his church, we're able to light the world up and do some amazing things. Which leads us to our final point. God has left his church in the world to promote peace 
and be a light in a dark world. God has left his church in the world to promote peace and to be a light in a dark world. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, I'll read it for us. This is Jesus speaking to his people. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and give, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Grace Bible Church, Colleen needs you to be the light. He needs you to be the light. Jesus Christ could have came right down here, bought a house in Killeen, and did ministry in Killeen, served the least of these in Killeen. Probably been great. Probably would start a little house church or something. Probably would have killed it, right? But that, that wasn't his strategy. His strategy was to leave you here in the world and to be a light in the world. And somebody needs you to be a light. Somebody needs you to be a light. He could have done it a ton of other ways. He decided to go with us. So I guess we all we got. So we got to figure it out. (laughs) All right. And so somebody needs you to be a light. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's maybe it's a classmate, a teammate, a coworker, a neighbor. Maybe it's an in-law. And I know that can be rough. Right. But somebody uh, needs you to be a light. Individually. And then collectively, Colleen needs Grace Bible Church to be a light. Because you get all those little lights working together, you got a much bigger light that can make a much bigger impact in this place. Then you got other churches, because it's not just all about Grace Bible Church, you got even a bigger light in the world. And that's God's rescue mission to the world. That's God's plan. He wants to use you. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So you guys got global partners that are doing great things in other places. You guys are here and you are the light, a a city on a hill that can't be hidden. And sometimes you you can look behind yourself. You're like, you're talking to me? Yes, talking to you. (laughs) you're, You're the one. You're here for a reason. And that's why we're planting the church in Memphis. We believe that God still wants to push back more darkness in Memphis. And like I said, he could, he could, you know, come down here himself and do that, but he's chosen to work through people. And so as, as weak and feeble as we are, we, we trust that by his strength, God will use some people to continue to reach more people. And that's his plan. That's, that's, what, he, that's what he wants to do. He, he wants to reach the world through you because he's the light of the world and he, he wants to light you up to be the light of the world right along with them. Some 2,000 years ago, the light entered the world. His name was Jesus Christ. And he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. But darkness could not hold him down. So he got up some three days later. And he asked you to follow him. Follow him. Step into the light. It's so easy to, to, to stand back in the darkness. It's safe back there, or it feels safe. Nobody has to know you. Nobody has to know the real you. you. You can put on. But Jesus says, step into the light and follow him. You can trust him. You don't want to have to take on this world by yourself. You don't want to have to take on the anxiety that's going on inside of you by yourself. And guess what? You can't, but he can. 
and he longs to love you and show his strength and his power on your behalf. Why would you turn down? Why would you turn down, rather, such a great gift? Why would you turn him down? Why would you turn down that love? We can't do this on our own, but with him all things are possible. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name. Thank you for today. Um, God, I pray that you would soften our hearts and open up our eyes and show us your glory so that we can, we can chase after you, Father God, and stop chasing after uh, the idols of this world. Forgive us when we're like King Ahaz, God, when we seek our own plan and our own strategy, when we try to save ourselves and save others, Father God, but you already have a plan. Help us to follow you. God, give us courage to step into the light. Give us courage to be in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ who can know us, who can encourage us. Father God, I pray that nobody here tries to uh, wrestle with this life alone. God, I pray uh, as we long for your coming, Father God, just, uh, just give us wisdom. God, give us wisdom, wonderful counselor. Uh, show us how to look more like you. It's in your mighty sons. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.